Welcome to CUCC Sermons for Everyone. No matter who you are or where you find yourself on life's journey, we're glad you've tuned in, and we hope you find meaning in this week's sermon. Last week, oh, we read a captivating little story in which 12 leaders from the Israelite community went on a covert mission to scout out the promised land. The, the people had been complaining, and, and God thought they could use a little sneak peek and all that milk, honey, and them big grapes. When the leader came back, they brought with them a report of the land, and, and they might have smuggled some grapes, too. Well, Caleb was, was ready to go, ready to take hold of the promise. And the other, the other scouts spread rumors about how massive the people were and how they would get crushed like grasshoppers if they ever entered that land. Right? They, they, they weren't convinced. They were big enough, strong enough, promised enough to claim what God had in store for them. So who do you think the people listened to? <laughs> Did they listen to the singular voice of hope, courage, and trust, or the many voices of fear, defeat, and insecurity? Well, let's listen in, as this week we are going to read a large portion from Numbers 14. Now that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept out loud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will, will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to just go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. <laughs> whoa, whoa, right? Pause. They didn't just say what I think they did, did they? After everything they have seen, everything God has done for them, given to them, offered to them, they want to elect a new leader to take them back to slavery? What? Are they that afraid of the future that they'd prefer to go backwards to, to the past, to being slaves to empire? And seriously, how, how do they think that conversation's going to go with Egypt? Uh, hey, hey, remember us? Oh, yeah. Well, about the plagues and the, the whole firstborn son dying thing and the, the drowning, your army in the Red Sea thing. Yeah, but that was like a year ago. We've changed. We're back. Yeah, that conversation's not going to end. Well, and so friends, we got to keep reading. And they said to each other, oh, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, 
they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored, it's exceedingly good. If the Lord's pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Well, that escalated quickly. Now they're talking about killing Joshua and Caleb for being too open to the future, for believing in the land of promise, for simply saying, don't be afraid. Friends, we got to keep reading. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meetings to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the signs I've performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. Oh, but I will, I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Uh-oh. Right now. Now the people have done it. Now God has showed up to the fight, and God isn't too pleased. God brings them down memory lane. Remember all that took place so that you could be free from your past, free from your thankless labor, free from your slave master's whip. Don't you remember all those plagues that I inflicted on Egypt? Yup, that was me. And guess what? Now I've got a gruesome plague with your name on it, and I will strike you down every last one of you and, and I'll, I'll start over with Moses big pause right this is a full time out that's frightening that, that's a, a little horrifying it sounds like the final straw was just snapped and God's about to go apocalyptic on them and the crazy thing is this is not the first time that God was on the edge of wiping them all out maybe you remember from our series on Exodus uh, in Exodus 32 uh, when Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai with God and the people had just built the golden calf right a, an idol to take the place of God God, God said this to Moses I've been watching these people and i've seen how stubborn they are now leave me alone let my fury burn and devour them then i will make a great nation out of you but moses pleaded with the lord his god and said lord why does your fury burn against your own people whom you brought out of the land of egypt with great power and amazing force Calm down your fierce anger. Change your mind about doing terrible things to your own people. It's hard to believe that that was less than a year ago. Right when the Israelites were almost wiped out for trying to replace God with a golden calf and hoping God wouldn't notice or take it personally. 
and and this, this week they're at it again trying to replace Moses and not only are they trying to replace him but they want to replace him with the leader who will bring him back to the past who will negotiate with Egypt and let them be slaves again who will undo everything that God has already done and God seems just as angry about their questioning of Moses' leadership as when they questioned God. Last time Moses steps in. Wait, what do you think he should do this time? Right? Is it finally time for Moses to, to just look the other way, slowly walk backwards and let God do God's thing with this disastrous people? What do you think? Keep reading. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power, you brought these people up from among them, and they, they will tell the inhabitants of the land about it. They've already heard that you, Lord, are with these people, and that you, Lord, have been seen face to face, that your cloud stays over them, and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put all these people to death, leaving none alive, the nations who have heard this report will say about you, the Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So we slaughtered them in the wilderness. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion. In accordance with your great love, forgive the sins of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt until now. And once again, once again, Moses has to step in front of God's wrath and negotiate with God to spare the lives of the people. Right? He says, don't do it. Don't let the world laugh at you as the God who couldn't actually bring these people to the promised land. Instead, be the God you said you were. Be the God who is slow to anger and abounding in love. And we read, The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land of promise I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one, no one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. It appears that God has taken a walk around the block, has cooled down a little bit, has agreed not to strike down an entire community, and instead of killing them, 
God simply promises that they will all die in the desert of natural cause and that not one of them will ever step foot in the promised land. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, my friends, uh, some passages are easier than others to conjure some good news out of, right? To construct a simple take-home lesson from. This one? Oh, not so much. <laughs> and you better believe that the people aren't going to take this news well, right? They were ready to stone Joshua and Caleb for being open-minded. Can you imagine how they're going to respond to being told that they will never step foot in the promised land? Ooh, next week's story's going to be a barn burner. Kind of literally. So, so what do we do with a story like this? What do we do with people like these? And what on earth do we do with a God like that? The truth is there, there's too much to take on in one week. So next week we will read part two of Moses' leadership being called into question and God's inevitable wrath. Right, next week, we'll talk about spiritual leadership. What makes a good leader and what to do when you disagree with the person you are supposed to be following. It should be good. This week, however, I want to talk about God. I want to talk about God's anger throughout the Bible and, and, and what we're supposed to take from texts like these. Right, we've been at this together for long enough that, that we know this isn't God's first act or threat of seismic violence. In fact, it comes up so regular that, like today's passage, it can be hard to keep the threats of violence straight. Is this the God threatened to destroy everyone at Sodom and Gomorrah story or, or the golden calf? Is this the, the flood that wipes everyone out or the plagues that accomplish the same feat? Right? Which angry, murderous moment are we talking about again? Hmm. One thing. One thing we can take from the repetition is that these stories didn't make it into the Bible by mistake. Right? It's not like a, a hot mic accidentally picked up God's wrath. It wasn't an editorial mistake by those who compiled the many books of the Bible. The community went to great lengths to record these stories, preserve these stories, and, and to teach these stories to their children, they're in there on purpose and for a reason. And so despite what we may have been taught or, or think, the authors and recipients of these stories were oddly comfortable with moments in which God didn't look so great and, and with moments in which they looked even worse. Right, sure, there are many of stories in which the people are faithful, courageous, and loving, but not all of them. Right, there are many stories in which God is gentle, kind, and compassionate, but not all of them. So there, there's our first takeaway. These stories can't be read independently. They have to be read in conversation with the entire book. The God of divine justice must be read next to the God of mercy. And we all know why, why they, why anyone would record 
And the good stories, the heroic tales, the moral victories, the, the moments of communal pride. But, but why keep the ugly ones? Why write them down, pass them on? Why, why teach them to your children? Right? Why would you remind the next generation how badly you screwed up and how angry God got? Why, why keep the ugly ones? To what purpose do they serve? Well, maybe, just maybe, their comfortability with a God who does not always look good allows them to be comfortable with their own history in which they don't always look good. Maybe this more complex and nuanced construction of God allows them to own their complex and nuanced past. Instead of covering up their stories of violence, anger, and horrific blunders, remarkably, they are humble enough to own their past publicly. And maybe we have something to learn here. Right? Might we as, as individuals, as communities, as a nation, offer such an honest assessment of ourselves and the dark sides of our past? Instead of telling only the fond stories of the church of old, the family vacations, the moral victories as a nation, might, might we speak more honestly about the path that brought us here from there? As a church, might it be helpful to, to teach and remember our past conflicts and failures? Moments when we missed the mark, moments when we showed poor judgment, moments where we overextended or, or underinvested. Right? What would it look like for the global church to own its past, to take responsibility for what it has done throughout the years, what it did throughout South America and Africa in the name of spreading the gospel? What would it look like if we recorded our histories as honestly as the Israelites did? As individuals, as, as parents, maybe we should be telling our growing children stories of our marital struggles, of our financial blunders, of our occupational stressors, so that our children and any who seek to learn from our lives have realistic expectations of what marriage is like, money is about, and what work can do to you if you're not careful. Right? It's, it's far too easy to post only the good pictures and to tell all the happy tales and construct this high and tight image of ourself, but who is that really serving anyways? We all have histories, stories, parts of ourself and our past that, that we're not proud of. Maybe bringing darkness into light is the only way to move on. Maybe an honest assessment of oneself and one's past is the only way to finally surrender the shame and guilt and in doing so find a greater sense of empathy with everybody who's in the same boat as you are. Maybe Juneteenth or Jubilee Day is, is the kind of honesty we all need in this country. We will all throw a huge party in the next two weeks celebrating America's independence from the British, but maybe it's time to own the annual celebration of black Americans' independence from America, right? Or at least from the dark version of America that owned and traded them as commodities. 
friends, if, if you don't know what Juneteenth is or, or why people have been debating whether it should be a national holiday or not, do some research. Read up on it. Own it. Shed light on it. Teach it to your children. Be humble enough to say it's about time to learn to learn about what my ancestors did. Maybe every time we invoke God's blessing on the country or, or make claims about a country based on, on Judeo-Christian values while keeping the lid sealed on our frequent and atrocious blunders of the past 200 years, we construct a false God who turns a blind eye to justice and only offers mercy to those in power. Maybe a sacred text that is comfortable with its own failures, conquests, threats of violence and war, right? maybe it can help us construct an honest narrative about who we are as individuals, as a church, as a nation. Right? A narrative that doesn't just needlessly drag people through the mud, but one that has the courage to identify and own its evils when it pokes its ugly head so that the next generation can identify their own evils before they get out of control. Friends, this is why we, we've been reading the entire Bible. <laughs> Trust me, y'all, my job would be so much easier if we only read parables about loving your neighbor. <laughs> we read the whole thing because that is the honest way. And I'd rather have an honest look at something con containing blemishes than be fed a fake version that has been carefully curated and covered up for mass appeal and consumption. Right? Maybe, maybe we're not perfect people. And by maybe, I mean there is no chance that we are perfect people. We might not be able to remove all the darkness from our lives, but we certainly can shine a light on it own it so as to warn the next generation from making the same mistakes we did as people of the spirit followers of jesus as a community of faith yes we want to strive to offer love in every situation but when we don't when we sow lies instead of truth hate instead of love fear instead of hope let's not pretend like it didn't happen Let's sit our children down and explain to them why we raised our voice, why we lost our temper, why we used to hold that ugly prejudice, and why we've kept our failures covered up, and, and ultimately why we're going to strive to be better. Right? Per perfection. It may look cute on Christmas cards, but it's not interesting. It's not inspiring because it's not true. It's not honest. It's not believable. Next week, we're going to look at some of the, the human characters of this story as it unfolds in dramatic fashion. Now, we'll reflect on Moses' spiritual leadership and what it means to follow. Until then, blessings. Blessings on all the fun and exciting things that may unfold this week. Blessings on the missteps and mistakes that may unfold this week's blessings on it all. The good, the bad, the human. And know, know that as this divine narrative plays out throughout Scripture, there is a God of sincere and infinite love, a God who is present and faithful, a God who totally 
gets it. The God who is everywhere. Amen. Amen.